Let's take the Word of God this evening, and if you turn with me to uh, the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 16. Exodus chapter uh, 16. We're going to read here in just a moment in chapter 16. What we're going to find is that the children of Israel have been delivered from Egyptian bondage, and it's been two months and 15 days. And in two months and 15 days, in Exodus chapter 16, the children of Israel murmur once again. The first time, if you remember, was by the Red Sea. They saw the Egyptians, and they complained, and they turned to Moses and said, You brought us here to die. Why did you do this? When they're going to do that the first time, God is going to deliver them. The second time, after they crossed the, the Red Sea, they're brought uh, to the waters of Marah, and they began to murmur there. And you remember what God did when they murmured? He turned the water from bitter to sweet. And here, in our text, we have the third time that they murmur. And again, it's only been two months and 15 days since their deliverance. And so this happens rather quickly. I think the reason why God notes the timeline is to show us that it was soon after their deliverance. Years have not expired expired, so that now they're complaining and they've forgotten. It's just been two months. And yet they are now three times murmuring. But something that I was made aware of as I studied this chapter is I'm aware of the graciousness of God. The first time, God opened the Red Sea when they complained. The second time, He changed the waters from bitter to sweet. This third time, they're going to murmur again, and we're going to find what God has done. And the reason why I'm saying that is as we proceed in the book of Exodus, and if you were to read through the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you find the children of Israel murmuring, and at times, one occasion, God will send serpents to judge them. On one particular occasion, God is going to judge the children of Israel and open the earth and swallow them. And if we're not careful, we might misjudge God. To think in those instances that God has been unjust. But if we consider the whole of the wilderness wanderings, we're going to find that God indeed has been very gracious. And so He is with us. So notice with me Exodus chapter 16. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Exodus chapter 16 and verse 1. The Word of God says, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. Now remember, God had told Moses He would bring, them, bring him back to the mountain. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel at even, Then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt, and in the morning then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord, and what are we that ye murmur against us. 
And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses spake unto the Aaron, Say unto the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host, and when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. The word manna means, what is it? And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Now striking to me is the opening verses in, you find them murmuring in verse 2, but then the Lord replies and says, I will rain, verse 4, bread from heaven for you. And so I want to preach this evening, uh, Manna for murmurs. Manna for murmurs. God is going to give them something, and we're not going to consider manna just in this text. We must consider manna in the context in which it is found in the Word of God to get a full appreciation of what is represented. Uh, by this manna, but also as striking as not just the manna itself and what the manna signifies, but to whom the manna is given. And the text uh, says to a murmuring people. So manna for murmurs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. Help us to delight in your word tonight and to expect things from it. We ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts to help us understand what this manna is, what it means to us today, and to be fully appreciative of that which you give us, but not just in what you give us, but what you give us by your gracious hand, knowing that it is undeserved. And so we ask your blessing on this study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It is evident here that this chapter, the subject of murmuring, is at the forefront. There's really two subjects at the forefront. The first subject is the subject of murmuring. And you find throughout the text, God reminds us, He speaks with Moses and Aaron, and then to the people through Moses, that He's going to bring up this subject of murmuring again and again. You're murmuring uh, not just against Moses and against Aaron, but you're really murmuring against the Lord. God has heard your murmurings, and this is how God is going to deal with your murmuring. But the second emphasis of this text is on the manna, what God is going to provide for them despite their murmuring. And so as we open our text this evening, we find the murmuring of the people. From verse 1 to verse 3, we find several things about this murmuring. First of all, we note the time of their murmuring. In verse 1, the Bible says, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. So immediately we notice here now, I believe everything in the Bible is important, but certainly here what we note is not just where they're going and where they are, but God notes the timeline as to when they murmured. 
It has been two months and 15 days since their deliverance. And so God lets us know that there has been three accounts of the children of Israel murmuring and complaining. And in each one of those accounts, they basically wish that they would go back to Egypt because they see it as if God had delivered them to bring them at this moment to die. They are very quick in the first instance to forget God's deliverance by the hand of God through the ten plagues. They are quick to forget at the waters of Marah that God brought them through the Red Sea. And here they are quick to forget where there's no food that God uh, transformed the waters of Marah from bitterness to sweet. They are quick to forget those things and now to once again be in the flesh. And so the timing is noted of their murmuring, which is a reminder for us that uh, we know how quick we are to turn and to very quickly forget the blessing of God in our lives. And we are very quick to proceed in the flesh and to murmur at the side of any discomfort and things that are unexpected that come in our lives. We not only see the time of their murmuring, but we also see the scope of their murmuring. Verse 2 says, It is the whole congregation that murmured against Moses and Aaron. And so the scope here, we're not talking about limited few. We're not talking even about maybe leaders, or often the Bible mentions elders of each tribe. We're talking here about the entirety of the congregation are murmuring. Now, uh, in the last chapter, the issue was water, was drink. In this, in this uh, text, the issue is food. They don't have the food to sustain them. And so they proceed to murmur, and the whole congregation is being stirred up. And it seems to us here that they're going to come to Moses, and there doesn't seem to be anybody in the congregation that says, well, wait a minute, God will provide for us. There is a, a wholeness to this murmuring which shows us that when we begin to murmur, it not just affects us, but it also begins to affect other people around us. That often murmuring begins with a person, and then another, and then another, and pretty soon the whole congregation is just a congregation full of murmurers. And by the way, that would make a big difference. You can deal with a murmur here and a murmur there, but when it's a whole congregation, it's more difficult to deal with. We not only see the time of their murmuring, the scope of their murmuring, but we also see the character of their murmuring. Uh, verse 3 captures the character of this murmuring. Notice the Bible says, And the children of Israel said, So this is them speaking, and we have a record of what they say. Notice, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full for we have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So here's the character of the murmuring. I noticed a number of things. The first thing we notice, we could say that this murmuring is first characterized by a, contem a contempt for God. Do you notice here they swear the name of God. Notice they say, would to God we had died. Now, according to Exodus chapter 20, that would refer to taking God's name in vain. As they speak to Moses and to Aaron, they said, would to God. Uh, that is just as taking the name of God in vain. They have a contempt for God. Why? Because of the place where they are. Now, remember they are in the wilderness of sin. There is no food for them. They are in the wilderness. But who brought them there? Now we might say it immediately was Moses, but how was Moses led? He was led by the pillar of cloud. And so evidently in the congregation now there begins to be a contempt for God. And so that's a characteristic of murmuring. When we begin to murmur, when people are murmuring, you can sense that one of the characteristics of murmuring is a contempt for God. They deem something in their life to be unfair, and when they deem something in their life to be unfair, often God is to be blamed. 
for their circumstances. So we see that it is characterized by a contempt for God, but it is also characterized by unreasonableness. That is a typical characteristic of murmurers. They say, notice, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Now, I was thinking about what they were referencing there. They're not talking about, would to God we had died at the Red Sea, or would to God we had died by the waters of Mar. Would to God that we had died by the hand of God in the land of Egypt, which means what? Well, God brought the ten plagues upon the Egyptians. And much of those plagues were not, uh, although they were God's judgment, I'm not aware of any of those plagues where God was directly judging a people to kill them apart from the last plague. It was on the last plague that individuals that did not have the blood on the doorpost were killed by the hand of God. So understand what the children of Israel are saying here when they're murmuring. They are saying, would to God we had died at the Passover. Would to God that we had never put blood on the doorpost. Would to God that God we had died by the hand of God at the last judgment. What is that? Unreasonableness. No, unre- no reasonable person would say such a thing, but that's a characteristic of murmurers. They often say things that are unreasonable. They said that at the Red Sea. Remember, they said to Moses, were there no graves in Egypt to bury us? Is that why you brought us here to die? Unreasonableness. Uh, In the waters of Mar, Moses, did you bring us out here for us to die and our children to die of thirst? Is that why you brought us here? And so murmuring is often characterized by unreasonableness. Often, if we're not careful, when we murmur, accompanied with murmur is unreasonable things are said. So it is characterized by contempt for God, by unreasonableness, but it is also characterized by self-deception. You could even say by by a lie. If you notice the text, it says... um, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that they're not remembering Egypt correctly. It seems to them that they think that Egypt was a blessing. That Egypt was where they ate to the full. No, they were slaves. You remember, we could go back to chapter 1 of the book of Exodus and chapter 2, and you find them, uh, they were sighing by reason of the hard bondage. They were in distress, and they cried out to God, and their cry went up to God, and God saw their affliction. He had respect unto them. And so understand here, they're, they're deceiving themselves into looking back and thinking about Egypt in the way that it was not, and it's just been two and a half months. It's not that it's been years. It's been two and a half months. And so this murmuring is characterized by self-deception. But there's another thing we find here, and that is this murmuring is characterized by faithlessness. Do you notice at the end of verse 3, For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. In other words, this is what the murmuring sees. This is it. We've come to the end. God (laughs) delivered us through the ten plagues. He brought us and opened the Red Sea for us and changed the water of Mar from bitterness to sweetness. And He did all that for us. To kill us right here. Faithlessness. You see, I believe that these are still the characteristics of murmuring or murmurers. There's a contempt for God, unreasonableness, self-deception, and faithlessness. So we see the murmuring of the people. And by the way, this is a serious matter Uh, The children of Israel, again, God points us every single time where 
God uh, saw them and heard them murmuring at the Red Sea, at the waters of Marah, and now in the wilderness of Sin. And the pattern that we find in each one of those cases, I think, should amaze us about our God, that when they murmured by the Red Sea, God opened it for them and delivered them. That when they murmured at the waters of Marah, that God changed them to sweetness. And here, in this case, we ask ourselves, all right, well, uh, what is God going to do now? There is no food. What should we expect from God? Isn't it time for God to judge uh, such an obstinate group of people? How many times will they murmur before God punishes them? Now, the reason why I say that is because we are aware of future instances where the children of Israel are going to murmur and God will judge them. So we know that that is coming. But before we get there, uh, we must be careful not to, when we get there to that place where God judges them for their murmuring, we must be very careful not to judge God by that standard alone. And who are we to judge God in the first place? But to see, to look at the whole entirety of their deliverance and where God has brought them from and how God brought them there despite their continual murmuring. And so the testimony, when we get to the point where God finally judges the children of Israel, it has been after a God who has demonstrated long-suffering. Long-suffering. Notice, we read their complaint, their murmuring in verse 2 and 3, and then we come to verse 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will reign. Now let's pause. We know the Bible. Uh, when uh, God judged Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis, He rained hell and fire from heaven. Didn't He not? We know that God often sends something, and the Bible says, and it rained this, and it represents the judgment of God. And so we might pause here and think, all right, God's going to rain judgment. No, God does not rain judgment. I will rain bread from heaven for you. Now, I want you to think about the Lord's words in their context. Verse 3, The children of Israel said unto them, would to God we had died in the, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for uh, ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And God says, I will, bring, I will rain bread from heaven for you. If that doesn't give us a good insight into God... I don't know what other scriptures will. So we see the murmuring of the people, but then we see the graciousness of the Lord. The graciousness of the Lord. In verse 4 and 5, we find some things about God's graciousness. The first thing we note about God's graciousness is that His graciousness was significant. <laughs> The Bible says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, What's the next word? First word. Behold. Now often in the Scriptures you find that when God says behold, something important is about to happen. Something important is about to be said. Something so significant that the word behold, often in the Word of God, ought to cause everybody who reads that in the Bible to say, Alright, let's pause here. God is about to say something very important. Now the children of Israel, as they're hearing from God, God says, Behold, at this time they might think, Judgment is coming. Something significant is going to happen. And so God's graciousness here was significant. He says, Behold, listen up. I have something important that I want you to know. Well, they know the God who has um, exercised the ten plagues over the land of Egypt. But you remember at the end of chapter 15 uh, what he told the children of Israel? He says in verse 26 of chapter 15, 
If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. You remember that at the waters of Marah? God can judge you just like he judged the Egyptians. You remember that? So God says, Behold, but he doesn't judge them. His graciousness was significant, but we also note in our text that His graciousness came without merit. He says, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Now if we pause at this time, if we think by the standard of what God has said to them the last time they murmured, we might think, well, now they've disobeyed God, they've murmured against God, they haven't been faithful. They, they have demonstrated a contempt for God. They've been unreasonable. They're self-deceived and they're faithless as to what God can do. And God, in the face of their mindset and their complaint and their murmuring, says, I will rain bread from heaven for you. So understand that the rain bread from heaven was given by the gracious hand of God, not because they deserved it, but because God was gracious. So His graciousness was significant. His graciousness came without merit. And let me remind us tonight that God often blesses us, provides for us, takes care of us, not because we deserve it but because He is gracious to us. Let's be reminded of that. Because if we're not careful, we'll complain because we think that God has uh, not given us what we deserve. And let's just remind all of us tonight that we know what we deserve. Eternal damnation in hell. And so God is gracious. That graciousness is demonstrated without merit. We also note in our text that His graciousness would also be continual. Notice what He says in verse 4. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So notice here, God says, I'm going, in the face of murmurers, is I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm going to give you bread. And by the way, you're going to have that bread Every day. Now we know, and we're going to find in our text, that there's going to be some other instances of the children of Israel murmuring, and yet the very day they murmur is the same day God provides them manna from heaven. This manna would last every day for 40 years. So understand that this manna comes at the gracious hand of God. It would be continual. But we also notice one more thing, and that is His graciousness was proving ground. He says at the end of verse 4, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So we find here that God is gracious to them and He's trying to prove them. Proving. It is a, you could say, a test. Now, we're going to go in just a moment. Hold that thought. I don't want to go there, but we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 in just a moment, and he's going to refer back to this text here. But we understand here that this whole um, difficult time for the children of Israel to be without food was proving ground and God is going to prove Himself to them by being gracious to them. Which reminds me of what Romans 2 says, that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. God has been so good to us, and based on His goodness, we ought to be found very grateful and repentant towards a gracious God. So we see that the Lord's graciousness was significant, without merit, continual, and it was proving ground. But then we come to the last aspect here, and we find the lesson from the Lord to the people. What 
is this all about? What is this manna? Now, certainly we could say it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's about food. No doubt it's about food. God would nourish them, but there's something much deeper than just the food aspect of what's going on here. And so God is, uh, in the face of a murmuring people, God is going to provide manna. This is significant. It is without merit. It would be continual, unending, and it would be proving ground. But what is God trying to teach them? Hold your place here and go with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy and chapter 8. If you were to read Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, you'd find Jesus was led up in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And in one of those temptations, you remember what Jesus said. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Out of the mouth of God. Where did he get that from? He got that from Deuteronomy chapter 8. So let's read that. <clears throat> we have to connect Matthew 4, 4 back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we connect Deuteronomy chapter 8 to Exodus chapter 16. So notice Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. So notice, you need to remember the way of the Lord. Now understand, he's not talking about the physical way. It was the longest way possible. 40 years to get to Canaan. What they were to learn was not the dirt road. Was the lessons that God was teaching them on the dirt road. Notice he says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. Notice why. Here's the reasons why God did all this. To humble thee and to prove thee. To know what was in thine heart. Whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. So understand, when we go back to Exodus 16, hold your place here in Deuteronomy 8. When he talks about, I'm doing this to prove you, we have the reason. Why is God trying to do? Why does God bring them through the wilderness wanderings? To humble them? To prove them? So that they might know their hearts. You know why God brings us through often difficulties? Why God allows that? He allows that to humble us, to prove us, and so that we might know our hearts. You know what Jeremiah says about the heart? The heart is desperately wicked above all things. And then he says this, Who can know it? And unless we are confronted with our hearts, we are ignorant of our hearts. So God brings us through things to what? So that we might know ourselves. And he says this in verse 3, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. Now that's Exodus 19, the first time they hungered. He suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with what? Manna, which thou knewest not. You didn't even know what it was. That's why you call it manna. Means, what is it? <laughs> Neither did thy fathers know, here it is, that ye might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So understand, the children of Israel would understand that God did this, he brought them to a place of hunger that they might know something important that God wanted them to know. What was that? That they might learn not to live by bread alone, but to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That's what God was doing. So back to Exodus chapter 16. What is the lesson from the Lord to the people. What is the lesson of a gracious God to a murmuring people? What does he want them to know? I've picked out a few things from this text, and the reason why I'm going to pick it is because the theme here, the emphasis is on the murmuring of the people, but also the manna, which we know what the manna represents, is a 
representative of, and God is going to do the way he's going to do the manna for the people so that we might learn how we should not live by bread alone, but that we should live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so upon the authority of God's word, what happens in Exodus chapter 16 concerning the manna is something that is teaching us about how we can live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so I'm going to note some things about the manna that I think will help us to understand. What is this manna representative? It's representative of the word of God. And so when we're gonna, I'm going to speak on the manna, I'm going to speak directly as to how God says He's going to do the manna, but we can um, take that physical application and make a spiritual application to it as to what it means with regards to the Word of God. So notice with me, the first thing we note about this manna is that this manna would be a supernatural provision. Do you notice with me in verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So the first thing we learn about this manna is that this manna would be provided by a supernatural provision. It will come from heaven. They will not go out and hunt it. They will not cultivate it in their own power. They're not going to uh, go about on their own to gather food for themselves. They are going to receive provision manna by a supernatural provision from God Himself. Well, that's exactly what the Word of God is. The Word of God for us is a supernatural provision it is a divine provision from God. It is not the words of men. It's the words of God. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word inspiration means God breathed. Understand that the Bible that we have today, that we hold in our hands comes from God Himself. It is God-breathed, and it carries the authority of God, and it is trustworthy in all of its parts. I don't care what the liberal teachers say about God's Word. It is trustworthy, and it is completely authoritative. Why? Because it has a divine source, just like the manna in the wilderness. We also notice something else about this manna, and that is that this manna would be readily accessible. Do you notice with me, uh, we could go to a few scripture we just read here in verse 4 and 5, but we could even go down to verse 15. He says, And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. And so they got up in the morning, and there it was. They, they opened their eyes, and the manna was readily accessible. It, the Bible says it covered the camp. So understand, they didn't have to travel long to find the manna. It was right there. It was accessible. It was available. Uh, in other words, if they walked out that day, uh, they either did two things. They either picked up the manna, or they trampled the manna. Well, it was readily available. Well, today... We have the Word of God, and it is readily available. We are either going to pick it up or we're going to trample it. So the manna would be readily accessible. It would be a supernatural provision. We also see the manna would be a daily provision. So that speaks of the... Manna being provided for them consistently every day. Notice verse 4, he says, And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate, notice, every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And so the children of Israel are to go out every day. They are instructed later not to hold on too much. 
Uh, if they held on more than a day, it would rot by the next day. The only day that they were supposed to do that uh, would be on the eve of the Sabbath to gather for two days. Uh, but every other day would be you gather for that day. And if somebody gathered for more than a day, the next day it would be rotten. It would not be able to be consumed. And so we see here that this manna would be a daily provision, which lets us know the significance of the words of Jesus Christ when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, which is something that we need daily, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And so understand that we, just as we have a physical appetite every day, there ought to be a spiritual appetite that ought to be quenched, that ought to be met daily. You and I should feed off of the Word of God every day. That's what we find in our text. When we speak much about being in the Word, being faithful to read the Word of God every day, where does that come from? Did somebody just make that up? It comes right from here, Exodus chapter 16. It comes from the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, that God brought them through this so that they might learn that man's not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So this manna would be a daily provision. We also see that the manna was to be gathered in the morning. Notice verse 12, verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying... At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it, shall, and it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. Now notice, it's important to note that the quails are not representative of the word, but the manna is. And the manna is in the morning. The quails are in the evening. The manna is in the morning. Uh, the manna is white, which represents purity. And so in the morning, they are to gather the manna. And it tells us, understand that every morning when they would wake up, if they are going to have food for that day, the command is to gather in the morning. Well, I believe that there is a lesson for us here, and that speaks of the priority that God gives them to go out and to gather first thing in the morning. And so here is what we learn from that, is that the first thing that would be on the mind of the children of Israel is God's daily provision first thing. Well, why would we say it is important to get up and one of the first things that you ought to do is to be in the Word? Why in the morning? Because it is a priority for us. It ought to be a priority. We also see that the manna would be an endless source of nourishment. In verse, if you go all the way down to verse 35, we, we find really the, the whole idea of the scope of when would this manna uh, cover, what, what, what span of time would this manna be provided, verse 35. And the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years. Until they came to a land inhabited, they did eat manna until they came into the borders of the land of Canaan. <laughs> and so understand, the manna would be an endless source of nourishment every day for 40 years. God would give them what they need until they reached the end of the wilderness wanderings. I like what one uh, Bible commentator said. He says, he talks about they were supposed to gather, right, an omer, what does that mean? He mentions here that an omer was to be gathered for every one of these two million souls. That's a roundabout number based on the 600,000 men. If you think about women and children, it would be about two million. And so an omer was to be gathered for every one of these two million souls. An omer is the equivalent of six pence. There would be 12 million pence or nine million pounds gathered daily each having uh, or um, which was basically four thousand um, four uh, four four thousand five hundred tons uh, 
that would mean that he did the math. He says 10 trains, each having 30 cars, and each car having in it 15 tons would be needed for a single day's supply. And so he mentions that over a million tons of manna were gathered annually by Israel. And let it be remembered, this continued for 40 years, equally wonderful, equally miraculous, equally divine, is the Bible. You think about the amount of food that that would mean for 2 million people every single day. You see, this manna would be an endless source of nourishment. We also note in our text that this manna was to be gotten by effort. Now, I mentioned that it was readily available, but the command to them in verse 16, this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. He says, gather it, every man according to his eating. So understand that there had to be some effort on their part. It's not like they sat down on the table in the morning and God just plopped the breakfast right in front of them and there it was. You have to go out and gather it every morning. And so it indicates that there had to be an effort on their part to gather the manna, to bring it back in their home, an owner per person. And so the, the manna was gotten by effort. And by the way, if, if we're going to be in the Word of God, it's going to take some effort to read it and to study it and to meditate in it. It doesn't come without effort. We also see that the manna was designed to meet everyone's different needs. I want you to notice with me verse 16, 17, and 18. He says, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, gather of it every man according to his eating, an omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. Now we ask ourselves, well, why some more, why some less? Well, here's the simple truth. Some people eat more than others. That, that's just it. In other words, there's not really anything much more significant than that. Some eat more, some eat less. Notice the next verse. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over. He that gathered little had no lack. In other words, nobody went hungry. Those that gathered much probably is because they ate much. Those that gathered less is because they ate less. They gathered every man according to his eating. So here's what we learn here is that this manna was designed to meet everyone's different needs. And you know the wonderful thing about the Word of God is that it will meet every one of our different needs. In other words, we all don't need the same thing today. We're not going to all need the same thing tomorrow. And what I'm uh, saying to us is as it comes to the Word of God, sometimes if we're not careful, we might read uh, some Christian biography. We might read about a missionary, and the missionary says that he got up every morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he prayed for two hours and read his Bible for two hours, and then prayed for another two hours, and pretty much uh, before you know it, he spent six hours, and half the day's gone, and you think to yourself, well, it's impossible. How can I do that? Let's remember that some people eat more and some people eat less. But some people don't need to eat as much. What I'm saying is God made us all different. What would be more beneficial? Consuming 10 chapters a day of Bible reading, remembering nothing, or picking out one verse and meditating on one verse and bringing it with you for that one day and chewing on it all day. You see, we have to be aware that God knows where we are and that His Word meets our spiritual needs and we might have different needs at different times in our lives and God, by His Word, will meet our need when we need it. I would encourage you sometimes... Uh, the frustration may be, uh, you think uh, so, some of you are empty nesters, you don't have children, but some of you have children, you say, well, well pastor, I'm, I'm so busy, I have children, and sometimes they're up before me, what, what do I need to do? And I really want, want to help you here, you really don't have to spend an hour, two hours every morning. I hope you don't feel that way. Something as simple as just picking out one verse in the morning, and just 
looking over that one verse and meditating on that one verse and asking the Lord to help you to, with the help of the Lord to do this one verse today that God would remind you of this today could be enough for you for that day. God wants to meet your need today. Sometimes if we're not careful, we might put ourselves, we might put unreasonable expectation upon ourselves that are impossible to fulfill so we never do it in the first place. If you just start with something simple and say, Lord, would you just bring one verse today that I could use and meditate on and that it could use to help me for my spiritual today, would you do that, Lord? God will do that for you. The manna was designed to meet everyone's different needs. We also know that the manna could not meet the needs of yesterday or tomorrow. I like that. He says in verse 19, <clears throat> notice um, Exodus 16, verse 19, And Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. Well, that was the instruction. Don't, don't leave. Gather what you need for that day. And what the point that he is making here is, if you don't gather for today, you're going to miss what God has for you today. You're living in tomorrow. You think, well, tomorrow I'll gather. Tomorrow I'll get what I need. And if you try to live tomorrow on when you get there on yesterday, it doesn't work. Neither today can you say, well, tomorrow I'll do something. Or uh, yesterday, I wish I had. No, today is what God wants us to feed on. The children of Israel were to gather for each day enough for that day. Not more, not less. If they gathered more, it'd be gone by the next day. You see, God will go with us in the present. Sometimes if we're not careful, we live in the past. And if sometimes we're not careful, we live in the future. When God wants us to live in the present. What do we do? Well, we say, look, all the times I failed in the past, what I didn't gather... I guess I won't gather today again. Or we can look at the future and we say, well, one day I will gather what I need, but I just can't today. And we live in either the past or the future, and God wants us to simply live in the present. I say, how about you just receive what I give you today? You see, when God provides for us what we need, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. God's intent is to give us what we need for today. Not for yesterday, not for tomorrow, for today. But there's one more thing we see about this manna, and that is the manna was to be eaten. <laughs> Let me review before I expound on this point what will be done. The manna would be a supernatural provision. The manna would be readily accessible. The manna would be a daily provision. The manna was to be gathered in the morning. The manna would be an endless source of nourishment. Uh, the manna was to be gotten by effort. The manna was designed to meet everyone's different needs. The manna could not meet the needs of yesterday or tomorrow, but today. And finally, the manna was to be eaten. You see, throughout this uh, chapter, he speaks of the fact that when they gather, they are to eat it. What would be the point of seeing it and having it, but not eating it? And when we think about eating, there are three aspects to eating. Now, I'm not going to go into too much details, but again, the reason why is God is using this physical manna and them they're going to physically eat every day, but there is a picture about what the Word of God ought to mean to us. So just as we get physical nourishment from physical food, there is a spiritual nourishment that we also need, and we can liken the both in the eating part because you're going to eat it every day. Well, the first aspect of the man is to be eating is, first of all, there has to be an appropriation. 
In other words, you would gather, you would go out and you would, you would gather the, the manna and, and so you would, uh, obviously, you you'd get the family around the table and then you'd uh, pass out and you break and, and everybody's got a little portion in their plate and that's their portion for today. You see, we, we don't have portion for tomorrow. We don't have yesterday's portion. This is what we have for today. And so everybody has to appropriate to themselves what they need on their own plate. And they have to say, this is my food. And so it has to be appropriate. Gather it unto your plate. Here's what God has for us. It's big. It's voluminous. It's powerful. It's it's helpful. It is instructive. It gives us everything that we need. But we have to appropriate it. We have to set it on the plate. We have to get ready to devour it. And so, the first of all, we could say there's appropriation, but then there is also meditation. And in the physical sense, we could say you have to chew it. You have to chew the food. Now, without going into all the details of nutrition, they say, the, doc, the nutritious doctors say, that you have to chew food before you swallow it. Uh, if you eat uh, fruit and vegetables, if you just take a bite out of an apple and you swallow it, first of all, it's going to hurt. But secondly, you're not going to get all the nutrients out of it that you could. And they say it's very important that you chew the food carefully because as you chew the food, you get all the nutrients that your body needs out of the food. And your body can digest food that is chewed properly better than unchewed food. Many people today have issues because they're, and I would raise my hand. You see, I, you know, growing up in the house, it's just the way, <laughs> way we grew up. Um, and my dad would always sit around the table, you know, like, y'all calm down. Don't, don't act like we don't never feed you. But here's the thing is I have three brothers and we are in competition. You see, there was one casserole and when it was gone, it was gone. That was it. So you got to finish the plate so you can get a, a second before your brother gets to it. And so you just, a lot of times it was not tasting the food. It was not chewing the food. It was just putting the mouth and swallowing. Well, that's not the most healthy thing. They say you have to chew the food. And I liken that to meditation. You have to get, by the way, if God is going to provide for them, He would give them what would be in the manna in our estimation. All the nutrients that they would need for their physical daily life. And you know what the Word of God has for us spiritually? It has everything we need for our spiritual life. But I believe we have to chew on the word, or the Bible word is meditate, to get all the nutrition out of the word that we need. If we don't get the nutrition out of the word, it doesn't help us in our health. Just as we don't chew the food before we swallow it, We're not going to get all the nutrients to strengthen our bodies and to live by. And if we don't spend time in meditation on the Word, reflecting on the Word, chewing carefully the Word, which is, by the way, what the word meditation means, then we're not going to get what we need out of it. So there's appropriation, gathering, there's meditation, meditating, uh, chewing, But then the last one is really what happens as a result, and that is the nutrition. You enjoy the benefits. You see, when you chew the food, you get all the nutrients out of the food. It goes in your body, and then it goes through your bloodstream. And if you eat healthy food, you'll be a healthy person. If you don't chew the food, it could even be something good, but you may not chew it and get the necessary nutrition out of it then your body is going to lack. And today they speak of, in the medical field, of deficiencies. You have a deficiency in this vitamin or that vitamin. And sometimes you have to eat more of this. And make sure you chew the food when you eat it. Why? Because you need this type of nutrition. Your body is deficient in this. The point I'm making here is just because we come to church on Sunday and we hold the Bible in our, under our armpit and come to church and sit in church and receive Bible preaching does not mean that we are meditating and we are receiving nutrition. Just because we open the Bible in the morning and read 10 chapters every day does not mean that we are chewing it and receiving nutrition from it. It has to be appropriated. It has to be meditated upon. And only then can we receive the necessary nutrition. 
So here is what God is teaching the children of Israel. You remember Deuteronomy 8? The reason why I brought you here is to prove you because I want you to know what is in your heart. And so God is showing the children of Israel that there's a deficiency in their heart. Something's missing in their heart. And so they need to be taught not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Let me remind you that when God gives that message to them, He does so to a murmuring people. What will fix the murmuring? The manna. Now that's true in the physical sense. But spiritually, what will fix our murmuring? The manna of the Word. You see, where there are deficiencies spiritually in our lives, God can meet those deficiencies with His Word. If we see it as manna that we need today.